All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow 777 Radio. I apologize this was late. Jason was here all last week with me doing the rest of principal filming for the film he's creating called Shoot the Moon. Uh, We had an insider guest lined up to tackle higher education who got very, very sick at the last minute. So I spent all yesterday writing the content for 130, which is in fact jam-packed with ideas that people can consider. And as I say over and over in the episode, test. You should always test everything to see if there is anything there of value for you personally. Anyhow, let's just get to it. Let's get into 130 with Jason Lindgren. We're covering numerology, vibration, color, and a heck of a lot of old ideas that basically are the underpinning foundations of nearly everything we will experience in this world and maybe a simplified way to think about things. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is the first hour of episode 130, which is a little bit late uh, because Jason and I were together dealing with principal filming for the film Shoot the Moon that Jason's creating. Welcome, Jason. Hello. So how was your travel back to your home state? That's a very long story, but we eventually got here very late at night. Kind of a pain in the royal you-know-what to uh, get on an airplane these days. They're never on time. They do what they want. They give you a colonoscopy and take off your shoes. It's all a bit beyond the pale here. But what do we have for the intro here, Jason? Can you think of anything? YouTube. Okay, um, YouTube. So you and I put out our message to subscribers on Tuesday, this last Tuesday, and the following day I picked up like thousands of subs in a single day, and I'm not sure where all that traffic came from. The following day, which is the last day reported, it's still well up in the hundreds, many hundreds. Um, So if anyone out there is aware of some of our material running somewhere that would supply that kind of traffic, I'd be interested to hear about it. Other than that, anything? I think we're good to go. We spent the week together, so... It was only you and I staring at each other the entire time. Right, so there needs to be an explanation. We were going to have a guest under a pseudonym covering higher education who got very sick. So yesterday, I scrambled and spent the entire day to put together this episode, which will be a little bit different than the typical timeline episode. And this episode will seek to tie together so many of the topics, nearly every topic we've ever covered, just about. Um, It's going to cover, in the beginning, it'll cover numerology or the idea of numbers reflecting something about our reality and how that all relates to vibration. And in the second hour, we're going to get up into the older ideas of what a molecule, an atom, and how vibration fits with all that. Anyhow, It's all you, man. As we set out today, we will be defining one of the many ways so-called numerology is implemented. We have chosen to use a model that boils down numerology to the numbers 1 through 9 because this foundation and its implementation are common to almost all forms of basic numerology, even across cultures in many cases. We will not attempt to prove correctness of this method, as that is up to you to decide. For our part, and as far as Crow is concerned, there is a there there. Furthermore, we would like to point out that zero, or what used to be called the cipher, plays little to no role in this method, and that this is shared in common with old Hindu cycles of ages, which is numbering that we are all familiar with. So basically what it comes down to is so many people um, talk about when we mention count the ways and they say, how do I understand this? Usually my response is start paying attention and you will start to figure out patterns. But 
as I started to look at this, I thought, well, let's throw down the basic foundation of all this, which is the idea of all numbers being broken down one through nine. Now, there are many, many different ways you can go at this, you know, for certainly many different ways. A lot of people will probably come in and say, oh, well, this is the way you do it. That's it's a bit like the law series, Jason, where everyone who came in um, had a different take on what is correct about that topic of law. This is no different. Um, but I will point out there is more than one way to skin a cat here. There are very few cultures that I'm even aware of that haven't used some method of this. And we will explain very shortly that almost all the older languages, there, if we can call it an alphabet, all had not only their vocal interpretation and sound, but a numerical value attached to them. Now a word about the actual literal meaning of any given number from one to nine. This is a vexing thing, to say the least, but perhaps the following idea will begin to address it. It has been shown quite often that the idea of seven in media can be related to the Hebrew Zion and, due to context, can be further shown as a mind weapon in this usage. Yet, we often find in Western usages, the number seven has a positive attribution. If, as we seek to show coming up, the idea of numerology being associated with language, which is in fact vibration, it may be that culture and vibrational tone have much to do with the literal meanings of numbers. In other words, perhaps a seven in Hebrew is not a seven in English. The obvious flaw with this idea is nature. A number must mean what a number means in nature, regardless of culture. Anyway, this is an example of some of the thinking used while attempting to vet portions of this episode's research. For the record, if it is possible to assign a number to some natural thing, such as the luminaries of the night sky, that it, it is likely a strong candidate for correctness in Crow's view. Basically, what this comes down to is people who have taken interest in this idea of numerology just simply need to pay attention. And in paying attention, you will be able to find patterns. From my point of view, if we can associate any of these things back to the natural world, we're probably much closer in correctness. And it should further be stated, using numbers in this way, one through nine, is a bit like code. Anyone could cipher key it or encode it any which way they wanted. They could randomly choose to make eight. The, the the dark shadow number for whatever they're doing, if they want it. But that's not really what we see for the most part. There is a commonality, but again, it is very vexing to come in and actually assign a concrete meaning to any given number from my point of view. There is a universal system used where the letters of the Arabic, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek alphabets have numeric values. Most of us are also aware that the Romans too used an alphabet, with each letter also holding a numeric value. Put simply, many of the old languages employed letters that also had a standard numeric value, which means every letter, word, or even a sentence held a numeric value. It is only in the modern era that this has been forgotten, but English also has a system based on the Arabic numbers 1 through 9, reflecting these known attributes of more ancient languages. Here's the thing. So many people come in and they act like the numbers game that gets played so often and people who pay attention is complete nonsense. And here's the proof that it's not. Um, Arabic, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, Romans, uh, among many, we can show flat out that what we'll call their alphabets, each character had a numeric value. That's the end of the story. There is no debating that and there is a reason for these things. 
We have covered the principle of vibration in many episodes. This principle is often cited as having its roots in the so-called seven hermetic principles, though it is likely these ideas were common in times past when science was closely tied to nature. The principle of vibration is directly related to numerical values, as speech is vibration. So numerology or numerical valued letters and words are seeking to measure the vibration of words, which means when each word or letter is reduced to a single digit, its weight or vibratory power is then represented numerically. The act of speech is always preceded or followed by a mental image or vision of the thing being expressed. This is critically important. This bullet point and these ideas. So many people get into the numerology and they never get down to the foundational basis of what's being done. Basically, the numbers are being used to measure, for lack of a better word, what's going on in the creation of a word, in the formation of the word, in the speaking of the word, and what that is is the principle of vibration. So if we get down to brass tacks, the numerolo- numerological idea being put forward here, where numbers are assigned to words or letters, is in fact a way to measure vibration and its impact on the world. We will get in later to that what the basic idea of that is, which would be: is it positive? Is it negative? Or is it neutral? Though there are many schools of thought and methods for finding the value of a letter in English, the following system seems to be the root and shows a commonality for most methods used. This method used to be called the Kabbalah table early in the last century, and it is laid out as follows: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, as well as A, B, C, D, E, F, G. H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y Z, as well as the and sign. Yeah, the ampersand at the end there was used in a lot of the older texts. So just so people understand, you you write one through nine at the top, then under one through nine you write A through I. Then under A through I, you write J through R. Then under J through R, you write S through Z. You'll have one open space at the end. So you would basically read down for the numerical value. One would be A, J, and S. Two, B, K, and T, and so on and so forth. Now, here's where a lot of people will probably chime in.、Uh, in certain forms of numerology, there's special numbers like 11 and 22, which we've talked about before, which are master numbers, or that's one one way they're referred to. And another idea is certain letters like S is sometimes handled in a weird way, as it is the 19th letter. But in this form of numerology, you break down that nine by adding. Nine and one in nineteen, and it becomes one again.、Um, there are plenty of offshoots and specializations you can get into, but this is the basic foundation for all, in my view, all of the forms of English numerology that matter. And this is different. In a way, from gematria, I should point out, gematria will get into numbers that haven't been boiled down to a single digit. You can use thousands or hundreds or any number of things, but to me, this is the basic, simplest way to view these ideas. Corresponding this method to the vibration principle, and accepting that this method is likely the root method for finding the numeric value of letters, four principal rules were employed in order to determine the gross volume of a word. The so-called atomic weight of a word, the combined power of a word, 
and the origin and destiny of a word. Okay, so the reason this was all included is because if we can assign a number to a letter and then form a word out of letters and get a numeric value for the word, it stands to reason that there are simple things we can do with those numbers. These four ideas are, in fact, the most basic and why I've included them here. And again, you'll get people who have many ways of addressing the very same ideas I am here, and I will maintain there's more than one way to skin a cat. The numbers are what the numbers are. And even in the oldest kind of occult ideas, any number that relates to a number, another number, or is making up another number, there's affinity. In other words, if I took one and one, then clearly one and one have an affinity with two. And I don't think that's really arguable. So logically deducing that these things are correct, that numbers relate to numbers because one number makes up another number, I think that's inarguable. And that same kind of logic can be applied to these four ideas. Okay, so to start breaking these down, the first one, the gross volume of a word is found by adding the total number of letters in that word. The word air, A-I-R, would be three as it has three letters. So three is the gross volume of the word air. Okay, these, these things are the most basic methods you can employ in numerology in my view, and I found that they are some of the oldest as well, so that's why I chose them. Secondly, the atomic weight of a word is found by adding the numerical value of each letter and then reducing it to a single digit. The word air would be one, nine, nine, which equals 19, which adds to 10, which reduces to 1, which is the atomic weight for the word air. Third, the combined power of a word is found by adding the gross volume digit with the atomic weight digit. For the word air, the gross volume digit is 3, as previously shown, and the atomic weight digit is 1. These digits add to 4 and need no further reduction, as they are a single digit. And the fourth, to find the origin and destiny of a word, find the total number of digits of which the whole word is composed and is found by counting the total number digits used in the total deduction so far. For the word air, it goes as follows. 3. Gross volume. 199. Atomic weight. 19. Atomic weight added. 10. Atomic weight added. 1. Atomic weight reduced, 4. Combined power. 10 digits total were used, which reduces to 1, which is the origin destiny number for the word air. Okay, so just to be clear, when you're doing this last step, 3 is the gross volume, you understand that. Uh, 199 is the atomic weight, you understand that. But you need each of the atomic weights before it's totally broken down. So 199 becomes 19, that's the atomic weight added. 1 and 9 added becomes 10, that's the atomic weight added. Once you have the number 10, you reduce it to 1. So each of those little calculations is included in this idea to figure out how many total digits are uh, the origin and destiny number for the word error. And we're not really going to get into proving this out, but if you start to do things like take the word sky as an example, you're going to come to the same exact origin and destiny number. And that starts to provide proofs for people who are skeptical, but there's so much more that you can do this to vet it out. And I suggest that everyone takes these ideas and tries to poke holes in them. Um, I spent all yesterday doing that very thing again. Um, it's amazing what you can find, and it's very 
it's a mind blow to try to figure out how do we get these languages? How did all these numbers get assigned? How did all this come to be? It's one hell of a big question, and I can't even begin to answer it. Anyhow, back to you. So we've gotten pretty far into this already. Do you want to describe any of the sources you've been using to figure this out? So I had sources from all over the creation, uh, Jason. I can't even start to, I, I mean, I was even referencing some of the old hermetic books, uh, dictionaries, and some old texts, which probably the titles aren't right, that I had pulled down from archive.org and other places. Uh, one thing about archive.org, just so people understand, if you pull a PDF from there, and you should go get PDFs because they're disappearing quickly, when you save them down, quite often the, the title's truncated in a weird way if the title's very old. So what I may do, Jason, is try to provide a couple of links to some of the older things that were already PDF'd online um, from texts that were scanned from, I think, universities originally. I think that's the closest I can come. And I know we've had this conversation before, but just to let everyone know, these books, these PDFs that are out there, are starting to disappear. Yeah, no doubt. When I first mentioned archive.org so many episodes ago, there was so much there that you could have in books that were no longer in print, that had been scanned off university shelves and other places. But, you know, you could go search Amazon till the end of the day and never find a place to purchase these hard copy books. As a matter of fact, in the very next bullet point um, or the one after that, I'm going to ask everyone listening if they've heard of a book and if they know where to get a copy because it was referenced many times during my research for this. And I couldn't even find it listed online in any meaningful way. And then I found other mathematical books which held part of the title, but not what I'm after here. It's almost like the ideas that are being expressed in this form of numerology were, were washed so far away from the mainstream, you can't even find uh, reference books to, to get your hands on anymore. In short, go on archive.org or if you find yourself there and you find these old PDFs, save them down. They are free right now, but since Jason and I have used reference material there, like when we did the color episode, one of the things we got was from there, um, a very old text from, I think it was the 1800s, if I remember correctly. You can't find that anymore. It's been removed. So, yeah. What would you say is the oldest source that all the gematria that you're pulling from here has come from? Okay, to be clear, this is not really gematria. I suppose it could be called in, in certain cultures. It might be, but it's basically the way I call it is, is basic numerology. Some of the oldest sources that I got my hands on, I think the earliest one was the 1600, and that is an untitled text, by the way, had a number, um, and then it was frequently in use through the 1800s, and I always talk about the modern edit, and I always draw the line for the modern edit at about the 1930s. If you can get texts that are 1930s or older, they really seem to have a different tone and tenor, a tenor that I call before the modern edit. All the way up to the early 1900s, this thing, the, these ideas that we're talking about were published widely, as far as I can tell. And when we get uh, into a bullet point uh, forward, we're going to find that some of my late 1800s, early 1900s research kept referencing a book called Householder's Numerical Dictionary. But we'll get to that in due course. One of the older ideas about how to use these calculated values was that one could then take the words positive, negative, and neutral and then calculate each word's values as described above, which would then allow you to correspond the temperament of the word. In this case, positive has an atomic weight of 7, negative 
2 and neutral 1. We could then deduce that the word air we calculated earlier shares the atomic weight value with neutral. Correspondingly, the word air is neutral with regard to the impact of vibration. This is a big, big idea, and I urge everyone to go out and try to poke holes in this method. Um, I took some time doing it yesterday. I've done it before, and it's truly amazing some of the things that you find. But the idea here is, is that not only are the words broken down so that numbers start to measure the impact of their vibration. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? You can take the actual words like good or bad or positive, negative, and neutral, find the atomic weight, and if the atomic weight matches another word, there is an affinity there. And I tested it, you know, with with words that are wholly negative, like murder and other things. It's amazing what you find. But again, people need to go out and test this and try to rip it apart to see what they find. When you're saying atomic weight, do you want to explain that to the listeners? Because they might be confusing that with modern-day chemistry and the periodic table. Good point. Um, when the word atomic here is used, it's much more from the older natural sciences or maybe the alchemical point of view of what the word atom means. Um, when we talk about atom in this way or how maybe the alchemist viewed it, an atom is like a primary material. And that's not wholly correct because it is not the primal material, but it's like it's almost like this. The word atom and the name atom when you say atom in this context, think of the name Adam. What the name Adam is is basically imparting to you is first man. It is a similar idea, not exact one-to-one, -one, but at the very end of the second hour, we're going to delve into what the older ideas of a molecule and the older ideas of an atom are. And this plays directly into the nuclear nonsense. Um, and for my part, I think the idea of what an atom was to the alchemists and natural sciences is exactly why we've now been told that if you split an atom, you can get a nuclear bomb out of the deal or start a chain reaction, a chain reaction of destruction. I think it was used to cover the real truth, which is these older ideas that I accept. And we've shown endlessly um, that the very beginning of nuclear nonsense starts with Marie Curie, who hoax buster, the YouTube channel hoax buster proved outright Marie Curie is mercury and Coded, it's alchemy being misused to lead everyone astray. There's all that. So if we did the same calculation for the word sky that we did for air, we would find it shares value with the word air, showing the idea, description, mental image, and vibration are all synonymous. So when you're testing these ideas and you think about it, you know, if you thought about the word air and sky, there's certainly an affinity there. And part of the older idea of vibration is that speech. Speech is vibration. And you can put good vibrations into the world, bad, neutral, all these choices for how you choose to speak and the vibration you let loose into the world. But in the older alchemical text, it is always stated that before you speak and create that vibration – there is going to be either a mental image before you speak the word or after the word is spoken or both. And this really begins to show how incredibly intricate these ideas are because truly air and sky show the uh, share as uh, as many words will share the same atomic value or so-called atomic value but the mental image you would get if you say the word sky or if you say the word air they're probably very close to each other proving out in this case anyway that truly they are synonymous and that the the numerology backed what you can demonstrate here 
Now, you said good vibrations. Perhaps we should let the listeners in on the little conversation we had right before we started recording. You know, quite often when I make my episode images, the little crow cartoon there is thinking of words from a song. And the reason for this is to partially show the programming of us all because I can just choose at random some words out of a song and so many people will instantly recognize them, showing that we've all been exposed to the same thing. But there is also deeper meanings in the words I choose from songs. In this episode, I wrote about Good Vibrations, the Beach Boys song. When you have heard this episode in full about numerological concerns, speech and vibration, go read the first uh, the first stanza to the song, Good Vibrations. And you tell me, did those people understand the, the, the older natural science and alchemical views of what vibration is? And I think it's clear, crystal clear by reading that first verse, which is incidentally also included in the episode image here. In other words, most of us went to school and never heard about any of the things we're talking to, but clearly someone out there who wrote a song absolutely knew. And it's really important to understand that there was some serious shenanigans going on, especially in the 1960s. And if you really want to know more about, say, the Beach Boys and all of that Laurel Canyon stuff, I cannot recommend enough Dave McGowan's book, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon. And he has passed away now, but Mark Devlin is continuing his work. Check that stuff out. It's really important to understand just how much was going on back then that certainly affected all of the decades following. It was shown there, and it has been shown since, to be 100% a stack deck. All that music that started the the end of the so-called, um, you know, the hippies with, with guitars that weren't plugged in into the early rock movement where all of a sudden electricity is going into the guitars. It was a stack deck, and it was social programming, and the messaging that went out in that music, which is, again, evidenced in the Beach Boy song. Are we to believe that some half-crazy guy sitting by himself in a room wrote those words, which are clearly expressing the alchemical ideas of vibration, or is something else going on there? Um, if you look at the reference material Jason just cited, you'll see the deck was stacked, and there was intent behind all of it. There's absolutely no doubt about that, because you have the beatniks, the poetry folks from the 50s into the early 60s, then kind of morphing into folk music, and then the folk music morphing into the first electric rock with Bob Dylan plugging in a Fender Telecaster and lighting it up. Right, and it was a big deal at the time. Uh, you know, it was a big shock that he was no longer a folky. He was now some electrified rock guy, and everything had gone to hell in a handbasket, which in some cases is true. It is completely controlled. I would ask, Jason, Brian Wilson, who wrote Good Vibrations, we are told, you know, how old was he when he did that? He must have been, what, in his early 20s or something, probably? Yes, he was in his 20s. So are we to believe that he went to a special school that told him all the alchemical secrets of the principles of the physical world, things like the principle of vibration, or is something else going on there? I can't tell you for sure, but it sure as hell seems unlikely that some guy described as half out of his mind on drugs and crazy to boot uh, was encoding these songs with this information. I'm just saying. Now, as Dave McGowan goes into, it is very well known that Brian Wilson, who basically controlled all of the Beach Boys and everything to do with the Beach Boys, had handlers. They're on record. They've been seen. I think some of them have even been interviewed. So that there was massive shenanigans going on there. I would venture to say, being aware of all that content and the research that we've done on the tale of it, that there is no 
big song or big album that came out in that period of time where handlers and messaging and all the rest wasn't involved. After all, who can forget, even all the way up into the 80s, Breakfast in America. Anyone who hasn't you know, seen the Super Tramp album, Breakfast in America, the whole thing is encoding uh, the 9-11 incident, uh, literally encoding. How could that possibly be 22 years, hint, 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 before the event happens? But there it is. And it shows the complicity of the people who were controlling the message that went out. But for the scope of this show, we're talking about foundational principles, which science basically refuses, for the most part, to recognize. Um, and yet here it is all being encoded in a way that the average person would never be able to detect. Um, and we can also show that all that music was social programming. We can we can link it all the way back to Tavistock, can't we, Jason? Yep. And how ironic is it that many Americans were indeed having breakfast while the events of 9-11 were going down? Of course, you know, holding that, that glass of orange juice, orange being the only word that reduces to 33 to get back to the numerological idea. Um, and that's another good point to make. I can't tell you how many times I see people comment where they say, oh, look, there's sevens in your name, or look, there's a 33 here, and they're freaking out. It's all ridiculous, man. It's all ridiculous. These numbers are usable and all we have to use by every living human being. What it comes down to is intent. Just because you see the number 33 isn't a reason to poop your pants, basically. Um, if you can show intent, and 33 is often a thumbprint, as it is in the in the album we just mentioned. Go look at Breakfast in America. That cup of orange juice is being held prominently. That reduces to 33. In my view, that's a thumbprint. But we're showing intent. We know the event was negative, and so you can begin to show intent. But in the scope of living a day in the world, just because you see 33 doesn't mean dick until you can show intent. So there's all that, Jason. Before we move on, let's make sure we get this part out there. The book that you've been referencing that you've said the older texts reference is called Householder's Numerical Dictionary. But we haven't really been able to find a copy yet. So if anyone knows anything about how to get your hands on this, please email Crow from the main website, crow777radio.com. Right. And to be perfectly clear, I'm sure a lot of people will probably go check it out. I would I would love to get my hands on a copy of Householders Numerical Dictionary, but there are more modern texts from Householders or with Householders in the title that deal with more modern math, mathematical ideas. What this is referencing is the idea of numerology, I think, as it's being laid out here. So if anyone out there has a copy or knows where to get a copy of Householder's Numerical Dictionary, I'd love to be privy to that information. So continuing on, logically, we can work out that the methods we have been describing, or other methods that are similar in process, correspond to the accepted mathematical idea that numbers which make up another number have some affinity with that number. As an example, since 2 plus 2 equals 4, it follows that there is a direct relationship with the number 2 and the number 4. There are, of course, many ways to look at this idea using multiplication, addition, division, and so forth. The reason I went down this road is because it's logical and you can't really say it's not true. Clearly, 2 and 2 make 4, so there is some relationship between the number 2 and 4. It's logically provable. And a lot of the numerology that people like to dismiss as hogwash can logically be worked out in a very similar way, which is why I've included this here. Um, and again, if you think 
Numerology is nonsense. Use the methods that I've shown here and test it. Try to rip holes in it. See if there is a there there. Go ahead, Jason. Another interesting idea with this methodology, if it is correct, is that it's possible to calculate and find whether a word is negative, positive, or neutral in an attribution and in use, or for that matter, the attribution of numbers themselves, one through nine. If this method is correct, the number two is most often negative in attribution, and since this number doubled makes four, we can then begin to understand why the number four is so often associated with death in the way we see it used in modern media. This, of course, is only a logical example, which assumes that this method is correct on some level, and we can further add that any human being could take the time to challenge these ideas and to either confirm or deny any possibility of validity by simply finding if many words like air and sky would work out to be synonymous in some way, and also the negative or positive attribution. For a very good example, is the word. Murder have a negative attribution. We haven't worked it out, but it's clear it must be for this or any other system to hold water. But again, many words would need to be tested to have solid conclusions. Basically, I did a number of words yesterday,、um, but I was short on time because we'd lost the guest that was supposed to be for this show. So I had to keep vetting the information as best I could by myself, knowing that Jason had just got back. My point here is, is I took quite a few different. Words that had to do with alchemy, and it's amazing what you find. That's all I can say. And what I've done here is offered the word murder blind. I didn't break down the word murder, but what I'm saying to so people could test it is certainly a word like murder must have a negative attribution. So if that's true, then this method should show that.、Um, and I've I've said all this blind. I did not test it before I wrote it. You know, I really do wonder at what level, as far as let's say mainstream media is concerned. Things that are released to the public. Who is the one who's encoding all of this stuff into, say, album covers or things in the background of a scene in a movie or television show? There have to be people somewhere that know what they're talking about. That they know this information and what intent they're trying to get across with whatever it happens to be—a symbol or an object or phrasing. Any of this. Well, from my point of view, it would be rich entities or families that never lost these old natural alchemical ways. I don't always like using the word alchemy, so I will use the word natural science,、um, because clearly, as the science we're familiar with came up, it threw so many of these things aside. But I'll point out, you know, I was I was just reading a book on spagyrics, which is the alchemy of the plant kingdom, and it was written by a chemist. It referenced all these other chemists, and it showed outright that now all these scientists. Are starting to look back at these older alchemical or natural science ideas and accept them. The funny thing is, is these ideas already have names and concepts, but then science, when it finally decides to recognize there's something to it, they rename them.、Um, it's a bit ridiculous.、Um, the religion of science refuses to ever bow to anything. My point here is that yeah, somebody has always understood this, and it's being implemented. And something as simple as the album cover for Breakfast in America proves it outright. Now, as a side note to the last bullet point, the number four is often thought of as the soul number, and that's S O U L in older texts, and is also associated with Jupiter. Which was, in some cases, considered the fourth visible luminary or planet in the sky. The symbol for the luminary Jupiter looks like a four even to this day.
as Jupiter is a positive attribution, proving as much with the word jovial, which is derived from Jove or Jupiter, and the idea of a soul is also positive. This could shed some light on the constant misuse of the number four, as well as forty-four, in modern media to encode death or the leaving of the soul from the body. The atomic weight of the word nature is, in fact, four, which again demonstrates the true nature of the word. To make a pun out of it, so it's almost like everything in the world has polarity. So if we knew the word nature was associated with four, and that the word soul, which is usually considered to be the life force, matches nature and is four, but then it's used to encode death all the time. You can see, well, death is the soul leaving the body. To to most people,、um, you could make that leap, but there it is. In one use, you're talking about soul. That would be like the positive polarity in use, and then the negative polarity would be constantly. Use four to talk about death or dying or these things, which in fact has to do with the soul. I thought I'd put it out there because, like I said, nailing down the actual meaning of any given number is not an easy thing to do, and I think it changes across culture too. In this method, it has also been stated that if the atomic weight of a word is the same as the origin and destiny of the word, then the vibrational relationship is very close. And when the word is spoken, it somehow draws forth or infers the other word. A logical mind would then understand that this type of magical idea is wholly about our minds. As again, every word is either preceded or followed by a mental image, and therein is the power of language. And in fact, this is a form of magic. Why can we say that? Because something is coming out of nothing. After all, each of us has the power to implant mental images into the mind of another, with or without their permission. This, of course, proves the power of media and underscores what the nightly news is up to every single day. So this. In fact, I've used the example many times as a form of magic. It's basically, as Jason stated, taking something out of nothing and then implanting a mental image into the listener, whether they want it or not.、Um, and I'll test it right here,、um, but I'll do it in a way that's completely harmless. Everyone listening, don't let me implant a mental image right now. I'm going to do it in three seconds. So stop me from doing it. Blue ball. There's going to be many people out there who got the image of a blue ball, and it goes to show you what the media and the news are about. If you look at the media and the news on any given day, 80 or 90 percent of every word or story, if we can call it a story, offered is going to have a negative connotation. Even your local news, you know, most people are convinced that the town they live in, that they see every day, is full of murder and rape and death and. You know, infection and all these negative ideas, because that, in fact, is what the news lives by. And so, knowing what we just said in this bullet point is an important thing to consider.、Uh, what if the news woke up every day and only reported all the positive attributes about a town or the people in the town that it could find, or nationally? This would be a much different world, because in fact. This ment this mental magic idea of implanting imagery is not lost on mass media. And I'm going to reiterate something I've said multiple times. It's there's a cadence to the way news is spoken, and it's different than what politicians use, but they also have a cadence. And I really do wonder how much effect this has on the listener or viewer, and what it's doing to them. What is the reason behind all of this? There's got to be a rhyme to the reason because they all do it. At least once you get to a certain level.
Well, the principle we're talking about is the reason why, because all speech is vibration. So the cadence you're referring to is the beat of that vibration. Um, the, I, I don't think there's there's any denying it, Jason. But you know, in past episodes, we've covered um, where places like Tavistock have the stated intent to reduce the human language to something like two thousand. Um, frequently used words, and then just a few hundred that are used most of the time. And I would point out that books like Dante's Inferno, uh, The Canterbury Tales, Don Quixote, each of those kind of classic texts was stated that they were created to save the complexity of the language, which was suffering the very same thing I just stated is going on with English. And so if we were to take those supposed, if there's a list somewhere in the world of what those 2,000 words are, there must be, if someone's planning to reduce it to those, how many of those words under the scrutiny of the method we're putting out here would fall in the negative column? How many in the positive? How many would be neutral? And I think if we're to gauge this by whether the news is generally positive or negative, we already know the answer to that. And you can see the kind of misuse of alchemical mind magic that's going on when it's all boiled down to the principle of vibration and you actually consider truly what's going on. It's interesting also because if you listen to old broadcasts and the further you go back in time, you can hear that it was different. Right. I like old-time radio, actually. I'll listen to it from time to time. They spoke with this more dramatic edge to it, and maybe that's left over from live theater. But even the politicians, say, for instance, listening to an FDR speech or something like that, they spoke very differently than these modern anything, anything in, in modern media. It's very different, and I do wonder how they morphed it over the decades to become what it is now. I think it was done through media, Jason, and you make a good point. If you go back and listen to almost anything from the 40s or 50s, it is a much more wholesome sound to hear human beings speaking, whether it's on the stage or someone recorded on the street or someone in the news. You know, they'd be apt to go home and get some apple pie and, aw, shucks, this, um, if they really want to get expressive. But I would, I would venture to guess if we were to take this method, there's a far cry between taking the word shucks and an F-bomb and seeing what the attribution of those words is, and you make a very good point. You know, when we look at, at shows like Leave It to Beaver today, they have that kind of pseudo-wholesome quality, and the language that's being used is a big part of it. And if you were to stack up language on a stage from, say, Leave It to Beaver to something from the modern era, um, it's a far cry if you take the cadence and the tone and tenor of the language. There is no doubt. And even the acting skills... This is very interesting because I've been getting more and more into precisely watching how things are delivered in movies and television. And quite honestly, most of it bugs me now because I can just see how false it is. Not that I didn't know that before, but the delivery and the small pauses and the weird things that go into all of this. It's so deliberate on every level. And I really got to wonder again, at what point in the hierarchy of putting out something into the mainstream media... Who is the individual or individuals that are putting their hands in and saying it's going to be like this? Yeah, that's a good question. But, you know, even hearkening back again to the Tavistock episode, we showed how a typical news piece is put together. Um, they're 30 seconds. A long one is sometimes a minute long. There are exceptions to this rule, but it's a bit like the video quick cut. Um, in so many of the children's shows or commercials on TV, what you will see is – a lot of color, a lot of action going on that is cut so quickly that no 
no static image is ever shown, but the movement of an image from cut to cut is less than three seconds. And this is done with intent because the, the brains of children cannot decide quickly whether they like it or not. So after this goes on for a short period of time, the brain gives up and just starts accepting everything put in front of it. This is done to adults too. And it's really just another aspect of the same idea that we're referring to. But, you know, I would point out too, Jason, can you imagine in the modern era uh, having like a Shirley Temple figure become as famous as she was back in the day. For those who are too young to remember, go on YouTube and look up a clip of Shirley Temple, one of the biggest stars in the world at the time. And it kind of shows you the kind of loss of innocence, if there's a better way to describe it, I don't know, from that time to this. Um, I can't imagine in the modern era a, a Shirley Temple-like character becoming as popular as she was in her day. The closest thing I can think of is someone like Hannah Montana, who, of course, they had Miley Cyrus come out and be this disgusting sex symbol as soon as that was over. Right. So that is the closest, and it's not even close. And, of course, we have the Britney Spears, which is just more of the same. And like you say, then what do they do? They get all the children following this relatively innocent young character, and then the next thing you know, they're naked on stage on a wrecking ball. And that wrecking ball is there for a reason, I can assure you. Is it a blue ball? <laughs> well, it is now because you just said it, and we all got the <laughs> mental image. But actually, we also got the black ball image, which is actually what it was. Right. If we consider all that has been said, and we accept that all language and words are vibration that can be assigned a negative, positive, or neutral attribution, then let us consider the news for a moment. In the modern era, the news is in a 24-hour cycle, or basically, it's nonstop. We have shown that the lion's share of all news is negative in tone, tenor, and message, not to mention the kind of language that is used. What effect does this have on the society at large? Is there any other logical conclusion other than it is harmful in attribution, vibration, intention, and message? If we accept that this is true, then we are talking about mind spells, as ideas based in language are always preceded or followed with mental images. Let's conclude that if black magic has any reality in existence, the news of this era is most certainly a form of it with the very same intention as the term black magic implies. And how could it be anything else? Um, anyone out there could argue this, but I would simply respond by saying go to your local news, not even national, where everything is fear porn darn near. Go to your local news and watch a 30-minute segment, and you'll watch them go by quick, too. 30 seconds, one minute. You might get lucky and get a two- or three-minute piece occasionally, but I would venture to say that on any given day, 80 to 90 percent of everything pervade on that local news is negative in connotation to include even the weather at this point. Where I am locally, um, every weather segment is called the weather alert or threat assessment. I mean, come on. People have been living in this world since whenever people have been living in this world and weather's been here the whole time, but now weather needs to be assessed as a threat. Um, just go do these things, and then you tell me, is the intent there positive or negative, or for that matter, neutral, which I don't really think enters into the conversation. I know you're not too familiar with him, but there's a very well-known clip by the late Bill Hicks where he makes fun of this very concept that the news is hitting you over the head over and over and over again with all these terrible things. And then you look out the window, your window, and it's nothing but crickets chirping. <laughs> well, exactly. That's exactly right. And just to put a fine point, because we're going to get into this an hour or two, when a person is speaking, 
um, anywhere, whether it's a newscaster or your best friend or your mom, that's vibration. In the cymatics episode that we did, that is what cymatics does. It actually, for the first time, made vibration renderable in a physical form that we can see with our eyes. And it proved that vibration creates form. And that's why we're harping on this, because not only form, the mental images you're getting are formed in the same way. So if the, the vib vibratory tenor of the words being projected at you are wholly negative, then the form being created is wholly negative. That's the basic underlying principle at work here. And we get into this a lot more in the second hour. But anyhow, go ahead, ma'am. Let's also not forget the medium of delivery that is so different today than it would have been 100 years ago. Originally, of course, it would have just been newspaper, but then we're talking about radio, which radio was king for decades, until the advent of television. And then as the years go by, the television gets more and more realistic until you get to today where you're 4K and high refresh rates and all of these things bombarding you and those images, whatever it is they're trying to convey to you, they're hitting your brain in a much harder way than it would have been in 1933 turning on your tube radio. Good point, Jason. If you look at the back of your television, the hertz rate basically indicates on some level how many times your TV is refreshing in your face. So many TVs today are over 100 times a second. Some of them are even much more than that. But I'll point a thing out here. When I was a stagehand, I would bump into really old stagehands. Um, some of them claimed they were roadies for the Grateful Dead to show how old they were. Whenever they referred to electricity or frequency in that way, they called it cycles. They would call the electrical power 60 cycles a second. Well, we all call that hertz now, and words do have meaning. And so when we're talking about vibration, and all speech is vibration, it's also equally applicable to the refresh rate on your television, or for that matter, color. We're going to tie color into all this. From the older natural science point of view, the only reason you can see color is because there's a certain element or chemical being vibrated at a certain rate. And that's provable from my point of view, although I, I doubt if many modern scientists will accept it as basically as that point here is your television has got a refresh rate vibration putting colors at you most of them unnatural which is also vibration and to top it off the natural world uses three primary colors to make every other color red uh, blue yellow and red but all this stuff being delivered to you digitally in your face has thrown the primary color yellow out and substituted it with green so even the colors that are being blasted you at some level are wholly synthetic. And there's a vibrational tone associated with all that too, Jason. Is there a reason that you've come across why they're using a different color palette for the electronic reproduction of color? Yeah, and it's actually it's actually a decent reason, <laughs> if I want to be honest. I've, I've gone down this road, but you see, that would be a whole, maybe we'll do a show on it, Jason. That would be a whole show by itself. But the main point I'm trying to impress is the natural world color palette is based on three primaries. The digital world is not those three primaries. It has swapped out the yellow primary, which in the old natural sciences, yellow is the highest spiritual associated color. 
And to put that into context, if you have pure yellow, that's a very spiritual idea. Think of the old royal court of Japan or something like that. But when you begin to add black, then the other pole comes in and starts to become evil or dark in this idea. But my point here is that highest spiritually assigned primary from the older natural science days has now been replaced by a secondary color called green. And as we all know, green is secondary because you add blue and yellow, right? So to me, it's not really why they did it. It's just pointing out that every color you see rendered in this way is not coming from a natural world palette. It is a synthetic palette. All right, man, that brings hour one to a close for episode 130. I would like to point out that on Sunday nights, Jason and I do a live show with a live chat that is free to anyone who wants to sign up and be in the live chat. Uh, on Truth Frequency Radio. It is called Crow 777 Live, and we have been gaining quite a following in the chat room, which often drives a lot of the shows. We interact with the chat room. By the way, for the live show that goes on Sunday, I always put out alerts on my Twitter feed, which is that's the only thing it's there for, just to announce things. And also, we have people running the Facebook side of the house, which will also announce the coming live show for Sundays. So there's all that. Anyhow, uh, we hope to see you all over at Crow 777 Radio for the full show. We barely touched the tip of the iceberg in hour one on this. And part of it is by design because censorship is so rife. But anyhow, that brings hour one of episode 130 to a close. And I do hope to see you all over at Crow 777 Radio.com for the full show. Cheers.